0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Travels. My name is Lisa Iannucci and not only am I the founder and host of this brand new podcast that I'm sure you're going to love, I'm also the author of On Location, the film and TV lover's travel guide, my latest book that will be released in February 2018 by Globe Pico Press. I'm excited about this podcast because if you're like me, you're watching a movie or a television show that you love and you want to go where it was filmed. You want to stand where your favorite characters stood. Maybe you have a favorite actor or actress in that movie or that TV show, and you want to see where they were born and know everything about them. Maybe you're the person who's traveled to every Game of Thrones film location, or you want to be that person. I know of film buffs who have visited locations of every Alfred Hitchcock movie, and another who walked into Downton Abbey's High Clare Castle in London, England, where the television show was filmed because she absolutely loved it and had to see it in person. Are you a Stephen King fan? Maybe you love his movies and books. Do you want to see where he got his inspiration? Did you know that you could take a tour of his hometown and even see where he writes? Maybe you're like me. I'm a huge I Love Lucy fan and a huge Lucille Ball fan, and I always wanted to visit Jamestown where she was born. So I had the opportunity to do that and stand exactly where she stood, stand right outside her school. Or maybe your favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption. You want to know that there's a tour you can take in Ohio of the film's locations, including the jail. This podcast, and of course my book, going to bring all of these opportunities to you, both in the United States and internationally. That's what we're going to talk about. Before this podcast is over, you will get the itch to travel. I'll talk about museums you can go see, conventions you can attend, statues you can take selfies with, and once-in-a-lifetime fan opportunities. And if all of this gets you excited about film, television, and traveling, this is a podcast for you, and I'm happy to be bringing it to you. Each week, I'm going to bring you an interview with either a fan who's done some really cool traveling or with someone from a venue that you should check out. I'll also have celebrity clips from time to time telling us what their favorite place was to see as a fan. Coming up in these podcasts are interviews with people from Field of, the Field of Dreams farm that was... uh where the movie was filmed, the John Wayne birthplace. If you were a Dallas fan back in the 80s, you're going to be excited. If you love the Christmas story, you're going to love this website and uh, this podcast. There's Breaking Bad, Wizard of Oz, It's a Wonderful Life, and we're also going to go international as well. So much to do. But before we get started with this first podcast interview, I want to give a shout out to my real travel sponsor Renee Sang, who's a travel advisor with Center Holidays in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Once you're done listening to this podcast, if you're interested in planning a trip based off what TV show or film thing we discuss, then give Renee a call or email her to plan your trip. I'll give you her information in just a minute. Renee is a travel advisor with Center Holidays. She helps families and couples connect through travel experiences to create unforgettable memories. Travel opportunities can provide you with unique personal experiences forge new friendships, and bond family and friends in one extraordinary vacation. Rejuvenate your soul with travel and allow Center Holidays to help you with the details. Renee saying travel can help you match your desired vacation dreams with the best option available with your time and budget in mind. They work closely with you to design your vacation with the experience and memories you want to create. Thank you so much, Renee, for sponsoring the First Real Travels podcast. You can visit her website at renee That's Renee R E N E E. Sang T S A N G Travel T R A V E L dot com. She also has a Facebook page, Renee Sang Travel, a Twitter, Renee Sang One, and an Instagram, Renee Sang Travel. Before I get to my first interview, I did something this weekend I've never done before, and I am so excited to talk about it. I know many of you out there have probably done this a million times, but I never had a chance to. I attended New York Comic Con at the Jacob Javits Center in Manhattan. I was supposed to go last year, but something came up, and I was supposed to cosplay this year, but didn't really have a time to decide. It was really overwhelming trying to decide what character you're going to be at a cosplay, uh, because there's so many really cool costumes out there. But I had so much fun looking at the other costumes. I saw people dressed up as Predators, so many fans of The Walking Dead, Star Wars, Stranger Things, Star Trek, Suicide Squad, and more. And then I saw professional wrestlers, Diamond Dallas Page, Tommy Dreamer, Dreamer, Lita. There was the Walking Dead cast. There was just so much going on. It was absolutely overwhelming, but in a good way. I mean, I literally shopped till I dropped and I walked till I couldn't walk anymore. I people watched and like I said, saw some of the coolest homemade costumes ever and props to those dedicated to do something like this. If you want to go next year, if you've never been there before, go to NewYorkComicCon.com and New York is spelled out, NewYorkComicCon.com. Sign up for the email so you know when to apply for your badge. It was a very intricate process. And you really should be on the list so that you know exactly when you have to do that. Um, And be on it early. That's why I'm telling you now. I'm not going to wait until next October to tell you it's Comic-Con time. I'm going to tell you now to get on that list. Uh, A few tips, make sure that you bring snacks. The lines at the food trucks are ridiculously long. There are probably like 60 people deep. Uh, So you're going to need some snacks to get through the day. Wear comfortable shoes. And if you think, if you can, think about doing it in more than one day so you don't hurt as much as I was try- I did after trying to fit it all in one day. So NewYorkComicCon.com, I was so excited. It was a lot of fun. Um, and in terms of travel, there were people there from all over the world uh, who have come to see New York Comic Con, same thing when they do San Diego Comic Con. So it's a great opportunity in New York to check out some other film and TV locations, um, and we'll as we get closer to the next Comic-Con, I'll give you some more tips on that. This week, though, we go back to the prairie. Little House on the Prairie, that is. What a great show that was. I don't know about you, but I watched it growing up, and I absolutely loved it. It was one of those great family shows. It sparked conversations. It was well done. And little did you know that there are so many places in this country to see that are related to Little House on the Prairie um, You know, especially Laura Ingalls Wilder's books, who the show was based off of. There are all these different places that you can go. Uh, So my first interview is with Sandra Hume, who's written Travel Guides in the Little House sites in the United States. And I was so excited to have her as my first guest on the show. So enjoy the interview. So on the premiere episode of Real Travels, I want to welcome an author and a friend of mine, Sandra Hume to the show. Now, we're going to tell the audience a little bit about you first. You are a well-published author. Your work has appeared in local and national magazines. You are also the author of Worst Kept Secret, under one of the coolest pen names I've ever heard, Sienna Cash, and that's a novel in the new adult category of women's fiction, but you're here today because of your love of Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House on the Prairie series, and as well as your love for the show. You published a twice-yearly newsletter for fans of Laura Ingalls Wild Laura Ingalls Little House <laughs> series about her home sites, and you're the author of the Land of Laura travel series. And, that, and you're going to tell us a little bit about that, but I know it gives travelers who are interested in seeing all these really cool things. Um, All these really cool places around the country where Laura lives, they go there and you give them guidance for their trips. You're a founding board member of the Laura Ingalls Wilder Legacy and Research Association, and this association plans the Laura Palooza Conference for academic researchers of Laura Ingalls Wilder and fans of the Little House book. And that is an impressive resume. Did I miss anything?
1: I don't think so. If I, if I think of something along the way, I'll let you know.
0: Thank you so much for being my first guest on the show. I'm so excited about this.
1: You're welcome. This is going to be fun. It, it is. And for those, you
0: know, there's going to be people who are going to be tuning in who maybe never heard of Little House on the Prairie. So let's tell them a little bit about the show, um, just a few stats, and then I want to talk about kind of why you got into um, the show and what you thought about it. So just for the fans out there, you know, Little House on the Prairie, it was a TV show um, when I was growing up that ran on NBC for nine years uh, from like 1974 to 1983. And it starred Michael Landon. Who didn't love Michael Landon? Melissa Gilbert, Karen Grassle, And they focused on all these really intense topics such as like adoption, alcoholism, faith, poverty, blindness, prejudice, drug addiction. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the show was based off of Laura Ingalls Wilder's books, um, which were released
1: back in the 1930s and 1940s, and those books
0: were based on her life. Do I have all that right?
1: Yes, yes, as, as As far as I know. I'm not not a complete expert, but that sounds all perfect to me. So now the television show came after the
0: books, obviously, and and was one of the most popular shows on TV at that time. And and if you're out there, if you haven't watched it, you can actually, I looked it up, if you have the INFP channel, you can watch it there. It's a great, great show.
1: How did you
0: come across it as a kid, and what kind of got you into it?
1: I grew up in the 70s, and I remember my Monday nights being absolutely sacred. I don't remember how I started watching the show. I just know that I always did. Uh, And Laura Ingalls was was a perfect, perfect, perfect part of my every Monday night. And I remember very distinctly in about third grade or so, I started taking an art class on Monday nights, and I was very upset because I could only rush home for the last 15 minutes of the show um and of course we didn't have VCRs or anything back then so you just had to wait for the repeat um and i watched it all the way through the 80s through it turning into little house a new beginning and michael landon leaving the show and uh more kids being adopted i i watched it till the end
0: it was it was really like you said you know People just sat, and their families sat on Monday nights and watched the show together with their kids, and it was just so good and so well done. I mean, did you have favorite characters? I even mentioned earlier, like, who didn't love Michael Landon, but who are your favorite characters on the show?
1: I think I'm a, I'm a Laura person. Um, when you When you run across fans of the books in particular, people tend to self-identify as either Laura people are Mary people, and let's be honest, we're mostly talking about females here, although I've met some very, very, very knowledgeable and sincere male fans. Um, so I loved Laura, and I loved the relationship between her and Pa, Michael Landon, which I think was extremely genuine, and I've read enough about what it was like to be on set there and what how he treated his actors to really believe that. I mean, he was absolutely a father figure to all of the kids on the show. And I loved their relationship. I thought that I thought that Ma was pretty badass sometimes, you know, when she had to be. And I learned to appreciate her more, I'm sure, as I got older. Um, but, yeah, mostly I was just I was all about Laura. And then, of course, when she got older and got together with Almanzo, which by that time in 80, 79 or 80 or so, when she got together with him, I had read the books by then, so I knew what was coming. Um, and then I really enjoyed their love story.
0: Now, you and I talked about this. You just called him Almanzo. Can you explain to our audience why you why you phrased it that way?
1: Yes. <laughs> um, that is actually how Laura Ingalls Wilder herself referred to her husband. That is how his name was pronounced, Almanzo. And even there's a, there's a passage in one of the books where she comments that it's a very unusual name he has, and it is. And he says, um, I don't want to speak out of turn or say anything wrong, but basically he, he implies that it was supposed to be based on uh, El Manzur, which kind of makes it a little bit obvious how it was supposed to be pronounced. Also, he was, she called him manly. So that makes sense. Elmanzo shortens to Manly. She really did call him Manly in real life, even though she and she did on the show. Um and I think perhaps his just as it was on the show, his uh siblings called him Manny. And it just it, it just it all falls into place. And what probably happened is, you know, the first person to say his name on the show, which is um um, Lucy Lee Flippin, who played his sister, Eliza Jane, she was the first one to say his name on the show, and she said Almanza, I mean, Almanzo, and thus pretty much 98% of the people who say his name will say Almanzo. But it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, are there other differences between the books and the show that they took liberty with or – decided maybe they weren't even going to use? I mean, you know,
1: what other changes did they have? Between the books and the TV show, um, there was no marriage for Mary, and certainly no marriage for Mary to a blind guy who subsequently got his sight back. Um, There were no additional adopted children. There was no Albert. There were no James and Cassandra. Um, There was a Mr. Edwards, but... You really didn't get into his life with his kids and his marriage or anything like that. Um, there certainly was a um, there was a Nellie Olson, at least in the fictionalized account of the books, and there was a Willie Olson, but there definitely was not a Nancy Olson who replaced Alison Arngrim as the curly-headed blonde girl we loved to hate. And I mean, there's a there's really a lot of things. I would say that the pilot is beautiful in terms of how it is. It follows the feel of the books really nicely and the plot of the books really nicely. Um, and I think it's Little House on the Prairie that it's following the book, Little House on the Prairie. Um, but they took a detour pretty quickly, and uh, Michael Landon kind of went on his own, in his own direction in terms of the plot lines that he decided to use.
0: Now, not everybody who sees a television show wants to go and read the books. Do you remember what made you want to go read them or, or, and how that came about, that you were like, hey, wait, there's books that go along with this
1: show? Absolutely. At the, in the ending credits, when you heard that awesome music uh, and saw Laura running through the, running through the wheat, or um, I guess it's just tall grass, um, it said, in all caps, based on the series of books by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And the first time that registered, I was like, what? And I think I went right <laughs> to the library and got uh, all the books that I could and just read them as much as possible and read as much as possible that I could a, a, about her real life, too, after that. But that that took a few years. Now, you know, we're such a
0: technology
1: why would they want to watch a show like this that's about pioneering? I don't know. Uh that's a really good question and I've sort of been asked that a few times about what is it that makes it endure? And you know, is that something I mean, obviously people are watching it. It's it's been it's in, it's syndicated like a ridiculous number of times all over the world. Um I don't know what it's like in the US, but I feel like in Japan (laughs) there is an unbelievable following. I don't know if people would sit down and watch it today. I know it was pretty enthralling to me at the time. Well, you have kids. I mean, do you sit and watch with them, or is it
0: something that they kind of haven't picked up from mom?
1: I tried with the books first, and that didn't really take. My oldest is a girl, and I I think she read them, but she read them kind of under duress
2: and <laughs> she really didn't
1: she didn't really hook into the whole little house is my life sort of thing. Um, and I I tried an experiment where I just kind of played the show all day one time in the house and that didn't really take either. So I don't know if it's my kids or just how kids are today. I have no idea. I just tried to show my daughter my so called life last week. And she thought mm-hmm. it moved very slowly, and that's only from 20 years ago, so I don't know.
0: But, well, you know, it's it's awesome that you even tried, because I know a lot of people who grew up watching, whether it be a Western or, you know, the old-time silent movies, even depending on how old you are, you know, want to introduce the kids today to stuff like this, and and it's hard. It's hard to get their interests um, you know, in, in some of
1: these shows
0: that we grew up with, and you never know what's going to click,
1: you know? Exactly, exactly. You never know, so you just keep throwing the spaghetti on the wall to see what, see what sticks.
0: Exactly. Now, for you, that spaghetti stuck pretty well because this book and this show not only lasted from when you were a kid. I mean, you do so much today still based on your love of the series and the TV show, when did you start the actual traveling and and
1: starting to go see some of these sites around the country? Well, one of the first things I ever did on the internet on my own, borrowing my roommate's AOL account or something like that back in the <laughs> early 90s, was to was to check out um, Dismet, South Dakota, because I had heard rumors that you know there was a lot of Stuff there, I had read a little bit about what was going on there, and, and Desmet, South Dakota, is actually where she spent most of her young life. Not in Walnut Grove, she was in Desmet for hmm, I, I think she got there when she was either 12 or 13, and was there till she, was there on and off, definitely until she got married. And but for a couple of out-of-state moves, she was basically there until 1894 when she was 27. Yes, that is the first place that I looked up. Um fast forward a few more years in the late 90s um or maybe even in the year 2000 I I moved from where I lived in Boston to um basically the middle of nowhere to get married. And eventually I realized that all of these places that she had lived from Kansas to Minnesota to Wisconsin to South Dakota I really wasn't that far from them anymore, and I could actually visit them. Uh, so in 2000, that was when I made my first visit. I was in Kansas, so the obvious choice was to go to the site in Kansas, which is Independence, Kansas. It's on the eastern side of the state. I was on the western side. And I went there, I think, in that, that summer of 2000, maybe 2001. I'm not really sure. And uh, it was, that, was, that was the first and not nearly the last. It was, it was pretty cool to see the places that she had written about. In this case, that was the book Little House on the Prairie, which is only the title of one book in the series, even though they titled the TV show Little House on the Prairie.
0: Well, you know, I have to ask you, because go back to like when you went to one of these places for the first time, because that that's kind of the whole point of, of me starting this podcast and, and writing these books, which is to go and see these places that you watched in a movie or you saw on television or, in your case, even read about in books where you can go and and almost see them come to life, what did it mean to you finally getting to go there and, and standing where
1: you read about? I can tell you specifically the very first thing I saw that made me literally get goosebumps, and that was I was just driving on a road drove across a little bridge, and the sign indicating what I was driving over said Verdigris River, which everyone knows (laughs) who read the Little House series is the river that went by their house in the book Little House in the Prairie. Um, Also in Independence I went and saw the grave of Dr. Tan, who was an African-American doctor that actually treated the family for what turned out to be malaria. Um, his name was in the book you can actually see where he's buried there there's not all that much else besides a cabin there a, a log cabin which they they've currently raised enough funds to rebuild um but just being there and knowing that they live there is kind of the point now
0: from what i understand too in
1: um iowa there's also the
0: Laura Ingalls Wilder Park Museum, and in Minnesota there's the Laura
1: Ingalls Wilder Museum. Have you been mm-hmm. to those as well? Yes. If we'll can, if we'll go by her childhood, we'll just go consecutively. Um, and if it, I'm going to stick with what she wrote in the books because what happened in real life versus what happened in the books, um, there's a little bit of a difference there too, but I'll just speak to what happened in the books. Little House in the Big Woods is the first book that was published. That takes place in Pepin, Wisconsin, on the Mississippi River. There is a museum in Pepin, Wisconsin. There is a log cabin at her birth site where the cabin was where they lived back then. Um, There is um, plenty of things to visit there. Next, the family moved to Independence, Kansas. We've already talked about that. That was the site for the book Little House on the Prairie. Then they went back north to, Min- to Walnut Grove, Minnesota, which, it's worth noting, was never, that town name was never once mentioned in the books. Um, it was only huh. via research that that name was uncovered. And that ended up being the most famous of any of the places she ever lived because it's what the TV show shows as the home base for the TV family. Um, But she moved to Walnut Grove, and that's where Mary did become blind. She absolutely did. Um, And there is a museum there, and the book that describes living in that town is called On the Banks of Plum Creek. Um, And you can go to Plum Creek. You can wade in Plum Creek, just as Laura did, and everybody who goes there does it. (laughs) But what's interesting for your listeners probably is that the Walnut Grove Museum contains more of the TV paraphernalia than any other place. Because with the exception of a sojourn into uh, a town called, I think, Winoka, um, on the TV show, the whole show pretty much took place in Walnut Grove, which was Actually, Simi Valley, Southern California. But (laughs) that's just how it goes. Um, But there's—I know that um, there's—in the TV show, when you're in their nice little slanted house, you can see the mantle. The the TV camera would pan over it every once in a while, in which is carved C.I.C.I. Caroline Ingalls and Charles Ingalls. And that has nothing to do with real life. That was just purely part of the TV show. Uh, But it's a pretty iconic mantle. And I don't know how they obtained it, but the museum was able to obtain that. It was donated by somebody. And about seven or eight years ago, there was a musical that um, was performed in St. Paul, um, either St. Paul or um, Minneapolis. I think it was St. Paul. Um, There was a musical that was performed there and then performed in New Jersey in sort of some pre-Broadway runs, and then actually it did a tour, now that I think about it, because I saw it in Denver as well, where I live, and um, Melissa Gilbert, who played Laura, was actually in the musical, it was called The Little House Musical, it was very well done, in my opinion, and she, when she was in Minnesota, when they started the first shows in Minneapolis-St. Paul, the whole cast went down to walnut grove to look at the museum and i think they also went over to disnet south dakota from there which i can tell you about in a minute but when she walked in i'm told by the people who run the museum there when she walked into that room and saw that she visibly gasped she had no idea that that was in the room it's it's a pretty cool thing and they have they have yeah they have photos of of all of the cast members around, they probably have more that I, I don't even remember, but they typically, every summer during the quote-unquote season, because lots and lots and lots and lots of people visit these places, they will often have people from the TV shows visit and sign autographs and do presentations as well. Do you have any memorabilia from the show? I don't. <laughs> um, I don't think so, Um I think I had a TV guide at one point that had a cover story, but I'm not so much a memorabilia person. Even the the real life memorabilia memorabilia that I have collected related to the books and real life, which I had quite a bit of at one point, I've kind of slowly sold it or given it away or donated it or whatever, because I'm just I'm not so much a stuff person. But it's available. There's lots and lots and lots of oh, absolutely people who are into that kind of thing. Definitely, And just even going,
0: like, you know, the whole point of this is just going actually to these sites and taking pictures and making your own memorabilia, <laughs> saying that you stood here and you saw this. You exactly. Know, and, and so let, let me talk about, because when we talked about in the beginning, you had started this newsletter about the home sites of hers, and we talked about that you were also a founding board member member of the Laura Ingalls Wilder Legacy and Research Association, um, and then the every two years Laura Palooza conference and all these different things that you've worked on related to her books. Why take your love of the books and show to this level? I mean, you know, the, you're it's years later since you were introduced. Like,
1: why take it to that level? Well, let's, this leads nicely into the next home site that we can talk about, which is Dismant, South Dakota, which I mentioned. She lives uh, as a teenager. And really the last, I think it's five books, I'm just going to have to count on my fingers here. By the Shores of Silver Lake, The Long Winter, Little Town on the Prairie, These Happy Golden Years, I guess the last four books in the series, and then the first four years, which was published after she died, if you count those. All of those books take place in this one town, as opposed to one book per place that I described earlier. So there's a whole lot to see in this map, South Dakota. Um, And the reason... I started connecting with people on the Internet about all of this real-life Laura Ingalls Wilder stuff. It didn't have so much to do with the TV show, Um, so I'm I'm probably just going to speed through this. But what I realized is that there are a lot of people out there doing research on their own about Laura Ingalls Wilder, and for some reason the scholarship really wasn't recognized as valuable. This is what I heard from the researchers. So what I did was I wrote and I edited And so I decided to use my skills to put together something that provided an outlet for this type of work. That started in 2002. Um, Because I moved to the middle of nowhere, I was only freelancing. I wasn't really working. So I had kind of a lot of time. I mean, I wasn't working full-time anywhere. I was part-time freelancing. And then I had kids, so that really kept it to part-time. But I somehow some subscribers that paid for it, and I put it out every couple of years, and I got the attention of Bill Anderson, who is basically the Oprah of the Little House world. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. To to put it pretty bluntly, he's been studying uh, the Little House family since the 60s, and he actually corresponded with Rose Wilder Lane, uh, Laura's only child, uh, who died in the late 60s. Um, And I also ended up getting the attention of Dean Butler, who played Almanzo on the TV show. And he's just a whole... He's a wonderful person. Not only is he just an all-around good guy, he has actually crossed over and really embraced the real-life Laura Ingalls Wilder, even to the point of calling himself Almanzo, which I think is fantastic. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... I I ended up, you know, profiling him in one issue of the newsletter. I had, you know, Bill Anderson wrote a couple of things. I did that for ten years. You know, in the ten years from 2002 to 2012, pretty much print was not something that people were going to uh, prioritize. And that that was fine. But in, I think it was 2009, some friends of mine that I had met on the Internet through Lauren Goldwilder Scholarship, we got together in DeSmet, South Dakota, uh, in the sunroom of a bed and breakfast in a house that used to be owned by Banker Ruth, who is a character in the Little House books. And we decided to form the Laura Ingalls Wilder Legacy and Research Association, and we decided to plan our first conference, and that happened in 2010. Wow. That, it's amazing what you could take you know a love of what you have and turn it
0: into something so much bigger, and, and but that's not the only thing you did. I mean, you then started this travel book series. Talk about that and
1: why you decided that this was something you wanted to do. Right. So I was contacted by Family Fun Magazine back in 2009, I believe. Uh, I was commissioned to do a little house travelogue. So my kids and I went through and we we visited – Pepin, Wisconsin, we visited Walnut Grove, Minnesota, and we visited Dismet, South Dakota. They sent a photographer and everything. I don't know if magazines even do that anymore. Um, But it was fun, and I I wrote it up, and it was a multi-page feature, and that just started my wheels turning because I have since taken my kids several times um, to South Dakota and Walnut Grove and Pepin. And, and they're really kind of thorough. Once you hit one, if you have a few days, you can hit them all if you really want to. Um, at least Walnut Grove and Dismet are kind of on the same road, maybe about an hour and a half to two hours apart. Anyway, I realized that traveling to these places, there really wasn't any guidance about how to travel there in one place, specifically traveling, as I did, with kids. So I just created what I thought people needed. And it took me a while because I was also working on fiction and other work and editing and writing at the same time. But I did publish uh, the first edition, which is about Desmet Smet, of the Land of Laura Travel Series. I published that last year in 2016. And I am currently about to publish, oh, in about four months, I believe I will be publishing the one – that is coming next, which is Pepin, Wisconsin. And I can I intend to continue from there. That is absolutely awesome.
0: Um, and there are a lot of fan events around the country. You know, there you are. talked about, I know, the musical, but you, there's a lot of little conventions and little
1: celebrations. Talk a little bit there about are, those. There are a ton of them. You know, I don't keep up with them the way that I used to, but I know that in uh, – Pomona, California, they have done a gingerbread party for Laura's birthday for years, years and years. Um, there have been cast reunions at Old World Wisconsin, which is an event that has nothing to do with Little House but always has cast members there from the TV show. The, almost every year they will have cast members visiting um, Walnut Grove, For the 40th anniversary, which I guess was in 2014, because it started in 1974, they had a huge, huge, huge event with, you know, every cast member you can think of except for Melissa Gilbert. She really doesn't participate. She's the only one who doesn't. Um, uh, And um, they have had things in Keystone, South Dakota, the other end of South Dakota, the western side, which is where Carrie Ingalls, uh, Laura's little sister ended up spending the rest of her life in fact, fun fact her the man she married, she married a widower with several children, and his name is listed on the plaque of names at Mount Rushmore as somebody who helped with that. His name is David Swansea um, yeah they've got they have events all over the place. They just had one in September. Um, just a few weeks ago in Mansfield, Missouri, which I haven't talked about yet. But it's the place where Laura and Almanzo raised Rose pretty much and spent the last 50 years of their life. Basically, it's where she where she lived most of her life and where she wrote the books. But they had an event for her. It's Oh, this year is the 150th anniversary of her birth. Um, so I guess her 150th birthday. So there have been lots and lots of events, and the most recent one uh, had several cast members, or I don't know how many cast members, but I know that Dean Butler was there and Bill Anderson was there, and Pamela Smith-Hill, who is a very well-known biographer of Lauren Goldwilder, was there, and that was in um, Mansfield, Missouri, which has a whole other museum. It's just, it it never ends. And in fact, it's even more popular now. The whole Little House thing is much more popular because – There was this – well, to back up, the whole book series is based on an augmentation of her autobiography that she wrote at one time called Pioneer Girl. Pioneer Girl was never published, but a part of it was put together and submitted to a publisher when that manuscript was rejected. And that part that she submitted via her daughter, who was a very famous writer, ended up becoming the first book, Little House in the Big Woods, and then she mined the rest of her autobiography to produce the rest of the book. And only last year, the year before, I'm not really sure, but Pioneer Girl was finally published. The Her autobiography was finally published by a small press in South Dakota, the South, South Dakota State Historical Society Press, and they could not keep up with demand. It was... I couldn't even get a copy for a while. I had to find a random bookstore at a in a friend's hometown in like Oregon to get my copy because I assume oh. it easily. It was a bestseller. I mean that, that's very strange. That's
0: awesome though, because that maybe that kind of answers our question from the beginning where, you know, people still love it today and maybe they don't care that it were a technology age and they still want that interest in you know the the reading about her life and and what those days were like and you know I I think that's awesome and that would probably spark a whole new generation of people to check out the show
1: and and take the travels the way you did. What do you think? I I I think so. I mean I'm wondering who's reading it. It's very scholarly, but it's spawned a few other books and maybe those those people have kids who are going to end up having. Um, Developing that same interest. I mean, to talk to the people at the home sites, there are a lot of kids going through, and both the show and the books are really popular with homeschoolers. I know that. It's oh not, wow!
2: It's,
1: yeah, it's it's pretty amazing what how widespread actually the whole the whole little house culture has turned out to be. Well, before we we wrap this up, let me let me ask you: Do you have any tips that you can give?
0: our listeners who after they hear you are like, I'm gonna take these trips and I'm I'm gonna go visit these museums and these sites. What travel tips would you give to them if
1: they're going to these places for the first time? Just give them a couple. First of all, I would say do not center your trip around a Sunday. These are all small towns in the Midwest and you might be surprised to find out that nothing is open on Sunday. The museums can be open, but a lot of the restaurants will be closed. And I will, I will say, personally, my biggest challenge with traveling to these places is eating. <laughs> Finding restaurants that are both open when I need to go and serve the kind of food that I hope to eat on the road, uh, it's really challenging. Another thing might be that people don't realize is make sure you have cash. Some of these places don't accept credit cards. Um, So for that reason, in my books, I supply where the ATMs are in town. Um, Another thing is that if you have decided to eat at a certain place or something like that, always call. Always, always. Don't rely on the Internet. These places might close for a wedding or something like that. Um, And to that end, if you're planning to go, a lot of these places have very limited lodging. Walnut Grove in particular has next to – I don't think there are any hotels in Walnut Grove proper. You have to go at least 10 miles to the west to find anything, um, and that's a pretty small hotel. So if you're planning to go, I would make reservations really, really far in advance. You can stay in some wonderful places, though. If you, if you call soon enough, there are actually covered wagons in Dismet on Ingalls Homestead, which is the actual quarter section that Charles Ingalls farmed in the 1870s uh, and 80s, um, and you can stay in a, in a covered wagon. That's pretty darn cool, um, and they have some really nice bed and breakfasts as well in, in Dismet. I've stayed in two. I don't think they've got more than that, but it also double check to make sure the places are still in business. I try to keep things as updated as possible in my book, but... Things are always changing. And one more thing is to find out where the grocery store is. If you're traveling with children, for the aforementioned reason, you may not have a restaurant to go to. And the grocery store's hours could be limited as well.
0: Those are awesome tips because I've been out to some of those smaller towns, and I can agree with you 110% that finding things to eat and finding restaurants open after sometimes even 3 o'clock in the afternoon is hard Mm -hmm. to do. So those are fantastic tips. And I don't know about you, but I want to sleep in a covered wagon. So I'm, I'm going to rush and find out all about that. In the meantime. It's pretty cool, and
1: it's not that expensive.
0: Yeah, I, 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 pretty cool. I mean, sleeping in a covered wagon, it's, it beats sleeping in a hotel room. I'll tell you that. You know, that, that's definitely something new I'd want to experience. So tell the listeners yeah. how they can buy your books and follow what you do on Twitter and, and just follow you and get more information.
1: Well, the book is available on Amazon under my name, Sandra Hume, and I will let you all know that in the the so reviews that it has, they're all five stars, well earned. Of <laughs> um, course, they are. <laughs> which is more than I could say for you know well, well. No, my fiction actually does reasonably well too. But people who the the real point is people who read it really find a lot of value in it. and I wanted to write something that I would actually be able to use. Yes, there are 13 reviews and they are all five stars. I've just confirmed that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can also follow me on Facebook. I'm not as active there as I am right around the time of publication of my books, but you can find that at facebookcom Land of Laura Travel series. And I do have a Twitter handle, but I don't tweet enough uh, for it to ne- necessarily be worth it. But that will if you just go to the Facebook page, my Twitter handle will be there. And once things get going, I expect to be tweeting a lot more. But the best place you can go is the Facebook page.
0: And let's also give a shout out to Sienna because your uh, website for your fiction book, um, it can be found at SiennaCash.com or Facebook.com slash Sienna Cash. And so you guys can check that out as well too because I want to make sure that my writers that come on this site, all their work is promoted and, and, you know, this is just part of what Sandra does and uh, check it all out. Go visit her on Twitter. Even though she doesn't tweet too much, go visit her on Facebook, buy the book. (laughs) Check it all out. It's absolutely fantastic. I am so excited that she was our first guest on the show tonight. And, Sandra, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. (laughs) That was awesome. Again, thanks, Sandra. Um, I want to turn my attention now to my celebrity minute. I do celebrity interviews, and um, throughout the podcast I'll be asking the celebrities, what's your favorite place to travel that's film and TV related? A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to interview former WWE wrestler John Hennigan, who wrestling fans might know as John Morrison, Johnny Mundo, Johnny Impact, Johnny Nitro, about his newest film, WTF, which was a mockumentary on some wrestling. It was quite amusing. You can check my article about that um, on GetMoreSports.com. And we talked about his favorite movies, including Rocky. And when I asked him about his favorite place to visit, of course it had a Rocky connection.
2: Probably running the Rocky Steps in Philadelphia has been, like, uh, one of the most fun times I've had on a a film location. And a lot of people do it, and uh, it's not a very, uh, I don't know, outside-the-box thing. I'm sure sure a lot of people think this, but running up the steps is fucking cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you do the arms and
2: everything? Did you throw your arms up in here? No, we did everything. And also, like, there's other people that run up the steps. But, like, um, I was there, and I ran up the steps a couple times, and in that 20 minutes or 30 minutes that I was there, there were there were two other groups of people doing the same thing. It's uh, it's pretty cool how I just a is made a boxer from Philadelphia. <laughs> it's become one of the things the city is known for. I mean, who knows if more people visit the Rocky Statue than the Liberty Bell. I don't know, but it's <laughs> so, that's uh, pretty crazy
0: very awesome yeah actually going to run up those rocky stuff that's iconic that's what us film and tv travel uh, travelers love to do stuff like that this was so much fun to do i hope you enjoyed it please let me know follow me on twitter at, at @versiontraveler. thank you so much for tuning into today's show i want to thank my guest sandra hume and i'd like to thank john hennigan I'd also thank, like to thank my real travel sponsor, Renee Sang. Again, I'd like to remind you Renee's an advisor with Center Holidays in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Remember, you don't need to just book a little house trip with Renee. You can call her for any of any trips you want to take. Check out her website at ReneeSangTravel.com. That's Renee, R-E-N-E-E, Sang, T-S-A-N-G, Travel.com. Or follow her on Twitter at ReneeSang1. And please make sure you go to Amazon and pre-order my book on location: A Film and TV Lover's Travel Guide. You can also see my work on TravelPulse.com and check out my website, TheVirginTraveler.com. See you next time.